Amen. 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 When I was growing up, I've talked about this before, I played a lot of basketball. Um, and in particular, I played a lot of basketball on my driveway with my buddies from the neighborhood. And as it often works, there were a number of different games that we played. We played a lot of two-on-two. We had a lot of one-on-one tournaments. But one of our favorite games, and some of those who play basketball might know it, was 21. Yeah. yeah. 21. And the way that 21 works is that if you've got four people, then it's one-on-one-on-one-on-one. And when you're playing in your own driveway, there's all sorts of extra house rules that come along with it. And we had our fair share of house rules when we were playing 21 in my driveway, you better believe it. One of ours was that you couldn't land on 13. If you hit 13, you went back to zero. So there's always this way to try and avoid landing exactly on 13. And of course, if you got tapped, then you got down to zero too. And there are all these different rules that went along with it. But one of my favorite ones, and we added it somewhere along the line, I think because we just wanted the game to keep going. And the rule that we added was that if you ever made it exactly to 21, you didn't win outright right there. No, 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 no. We had an additional rule called prove it. And the way that prove it worked is if you got to 21, then you had to back up a few feet behind the three-point line and make one final shot. That's right. That's right. That's the way to play. (laughs) And so if you made it to 21 and you missed the prove it shot, game keeps going. You go back down to 13, try again later. But I want to talk to you this morning about these two words, prove it. Because prove it is something that we hear a lot in our world. It's something that gets whispered in our ear. It's something that lives within our soul. It's something that we can't get away from. And there's a lot going on with those two simple words. Prove it. Our scripture passage for this morning will be Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 13. And as you might have guessed, I've titled this sermon, Prove It. Please pray with me. May the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. All right, open those Bibles, your pew Bibles in front of you, or if you brought your own Bible from home, that's great too. If you want to pull it up on your phone, Luke Chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. This is very often the passage that you'll hear uh, on the first Sunday of Lent. And and just a little bit of background as you find your place in your Bibles. Luke chapter 4, 1 through 13. Uh, This moment takes place almost immediately after Jesus has been baptized. So Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist, and then the Holy Spirit immediately whisks Jesus away to the wilderness for 40 days of fasting, and as we'll see, 40 days of temptation. So this is Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 13. And if you would please rise, we like to show respect for the gospel as it is read. Rise with me as we read. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If 
you are the son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to Jesus, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I will give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to, Jesus, on the, saying to Jesus, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until a more opportune time. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So when this passage is often preached upon or talked about in Bible studies or brought up, most often what folks will focus on is how great Jesus is at resisting temptation. Look at this guy, 40 days in the wilderness, nothing to eat, and the devil comes to him three times with three different tests, and each time Jesus passes with flying colors. And so that is certainly a good way to go and read this passage. That is something that we can take away from it. We can be inspired by Jesus' ability to resist temptation and in our own lives then hopefully resist temptation as well. Inspired by our, our Lord and Savior, we too can resist. However, however, there are some other ways to look at this passage as well. And one of the other possibilities would be to look at this and say, oh, look at Jesus. He is clearly the Son of God because of his ability to resist. And that certainly is another great way to understand and read this. But what I would like to focus on this morning is the devil. And in particular, yeah, watch out, what we learn about the devil from this passage. Because a lot of wise men and women have often said, know thy enemy. And as we look at this passage and the specific ways that the devil tries to tempt Jesus, I think we will discover the ways that the devil is still at work in our world, in our lives today. So, in case you hadn't figured it out already, I propose to you that what the devil is saying again and again to Jesus in this passage is, prove it. Let me walk you through it. So Jesus, as I I mentioned, he's baptized by John the Baptist and he comes up out of the waters and it's this great glorious moment where the heavens open up and the Holy Spirit descends and God says, this is my son, my beloved, listen to him. And then not a moment later, Jesus's hair is still wet from the baptism. The Holy Spirit whisks him off to the wilderness and out in the wilderness, there's nobody around. There's nothing to eat. And Jesus is forced to be there for 40 days. It's his preparation time before all the mission and ministry he's going to oversee. And for 40 days, this is happening. And during those 40 days, the devil shows up. And the first time that the devil shows up, the devil says, Oh, Jesus, looking pretty hungry there. Looking pretty hungry. It's been 40 days or so, I bet. 
Now, Jesus, now, Jesus, you know what would be great right now? If we had some bread. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's out in the wilderness here. It's kind of hot. I bet if we got some bread, we could, we could cut it open and we could toast it just from the sun. We could have toast right now. And so Jesus says, or God, or the devil says to Jesus, you know, you know, Jesus, I've heard that you're the son of God, but, but if you're really the son of God, then why don't you prove it and turn these stones into bread? Okay, so that's one. That's one. Jesus, of course, resists the temptation and we move along to the next time that the devil shows up and the devil says, oh, I got something to show you, Jesus. Come with me. Come with me. Look and see all the kingdoms of the world. All the kingdoms of the world, the devil says. And you know what, Jesus? You could rule over all of these kingdoms. You could. I'll let you do it because you're the son of God after all, right, Jesus? And if you're the son of God, then you should probably be ruling a whole bunch of different places and a bunch of different kingdoms. And so the devil gun kind of throws in the, the small prince, like, you just have to bow down and worship me. <laughs> and then he says, if you're really the son of God, Jesus, then why don't you prove it and take command of all these kingdoms? And of course, Jesus resists. And we move along to the third test, where the devil takes Jesus up to the pinnacle it says, up high, up in the mountains, somewhere in the wilderness. And the devil is getting wise to the way that Jesus has been fighting the temptation. And so the devil offers some scripture for Jesus to consider. A little Bible study up on the pinnacle there. And the devil says, you know, I heard that if you're really the son of God, then you could cast yourself down and the angels will not even let you dash your foot against the stone. So Jesus, if you're really the son of God, then why don't you prove it? And toss yourself off this mountain here. And of course, once again, Jesus resists the temptation and the devil disappears. Now, my point in highlighting all of this for you this morning, my point is that I think this passage is trying to show us how evil forces work in this world. Whenever someone says to us, prove it. Or whenever we hear that voice inside our head saying, I've got to prove myself right now. I think it would be wise of us all to take a breath and reconsider what we're about to do. Because I am very certain that God would never say to us, prove it. Now think back with me. Think back to me when you were a kid. All right, and you're playing on the playground or you're hanging out in the neighborhood. Maybe you're playing some 21 in your driveway. Whatever the case may be. And all of a sudden, you got this group of people together, and someone comes up with an idea like, oh, we should, we should pull a prank on our teacher. We, we should pull a prank on our parents. Or, or maybe someone's like, you know, it'd be really great to have some bread right now. Let's go steal some from the grocery store. Or someone will say, you know that kid down the street that no one really likes? Let's go bully him. And at some point, hopefully a clear-minded person within that group will say, you know, I'm not sure that's a good idea which will inevitably result in someone saying, well, what are you, chicken? What, are, you, are you afraid? Why don't you prove it to us that you're not afraid? Or, or it'll take a different tact and it'll be like, if you're really a part of this friend group, then you'll do this with us. Prove that you belong in this group. Yeah, so, so that's how it takes place maybe when we're kids. And, and usually this type of peer pressure isn't as prevalent as we grow older. Or, or, or actually, I would propose that the devil just gets a little craftier as we age. B- because so often what will happen as we get older is 
we'll start to think within our own heads, oh, I've got to prove that I belong in this group. I've got to prove that I matter and that I should be here right now. And so that will often cause us to say things that we normally wouldn't say, to do things that we normally wouldn't do, or even in a very good way, we'll think, I need to prove that I'm helpful. I need to prove that I'm a good mom or a good grandmother. I need to prove that I'm a good employee, whatever the case may be. And we put all this pressure on ourselves to go above and beyond, further and further, and as a result, we never actually take care of ourselves. Prove it are two of the most dangerous words we can hear. Whenever we hear a voice inside our head or a voice of a supposed friend saying, prove it, that is not God. God would never say something like that. In fact, it's just the enemy at work again in our hearts and in our lives. And I'm so glad that I have the opportunity to say all of this to you here on this Sunday. Because as I mentioned in the beginning, as I mentioned in the children's sermon, it's Lent. The first Sunday of Lent. Wow, look at us. And so often this is a season that I think gets approached from completely the wrong angle. So often people will approach Lent as an opportunity to prove themselves. Oh, it's a 40-day period of fasting. That's great. I'm going to give up chocolate. I'm going to give up TV. I'm going to give up cursing. All worthy goals. Wonderful. Go right ahead. Be my guest. But think about it. Think about it. Maybe, maybe not anyone here. None of you, of course. But have you ever heard someone walk into the office on the first day after Lent begins and saying, you know, I need everyone here to stop bringing chocolate in because I'm a very good Christian and I've given up chocolate for Lent. And so I want you all to know that I am not going to be eating chocolate for the next 40 days and I really need your cooperation. You see, people use Lent as a chance to prove themselves. People use this 40 days of fasting and recentering on God to instead center on themselves in some weird way. We have been given a chance to clear the deck so that all the nonsense and all the messages of the enemy can finally subsist to some degree so that we can hear again the voice of God clearly. And unfortunately, we've turned it into just another chance to try and prove ourselves. But a funny thing can happen when we're actually able to clear the deck a little bit, when we're actually able to tune in to what God is trying to say. Here are the types of things that God says. You are my beloved. I know the number of hairs on your head. I've known you since before you were born. You are my child, and you've got nothing to prove. Four or five years ago now, I was in the midst of trying to prove myself in a lot of different ways. I was the pastor of a Lutheran church in Buffalo, New York, uh, and that was going really well, but it was really hard work. And I felt this pressure to try and be doing new and creative things all the time. I felt this pressure. The church was in a difficult situation. I felt this pressure of trying to balance the budget, to get new building usage people in there so that we could make use of our building in appropriate ways. I felt pressure to be bringing in new and young people into the church. And it was exhausting. And it was wearing me out. And I didn't even realize it. 
And so I'm carrying all this around with me. um, And I come home one night from a particularly difficult day at the office. And it was my turn to put um, our daughter to bed. Uh, At that time, my wife and I only had one child. (laughs) We've got three now. Pray for me. And... (laughs) And so Evelyn is probably about two years old, maybe three. I can't remember exactly. And, and so it's my turn to put her bed. I, I read her a couple books, tuck her into her bed. And, and then I say her blessing. And now my wife and I have written a blessing unique to each child that we have, that we say to them before they go to sleep. And so I, I'll spare you all the details of Evelyn's blessing. But it ends by me saying, and may you always know that you are loved. And then tracing a cross on her forehead before she falls asleep. So I go through this routine, read the books, tuck her in, say her blessing, Evelyn, may you always know that you are loved. And then I get up to leave because it's time to go to bed and I've got a lot of other things that on my mind that I need to do. But, but Evelyn, as I'm walking out of the room, she's like, dada, dada, dada. And so I think, oh, she just wants one more hug. Like, this is kind of a typical thing with her, just one more hug. She calls me over, dada, dada. But instead of giving me a hug, she reaches up and she says, dada, may you always know that you are loved. Church, we've got to stop listening to the voice of the enemy. And we've got to stop trying to prove how good or special or accomplished or helpful or right or smart that we are. And when we do that, then the voice of God can break in. And it will bring you to your knees when you least expect it. And yet it'll be exactly what you need to hear in that moment. Because the message of God is clear. We've just got to tune out all the noise enough to hear it. You are my child, God says. You've got nothing to prove. Because nothing can separate you from my love. Thanks be to God for this promise. Amen.